let's get back to our review of Afghanistan one year after the fall of Kabul. And perhaps one of the biggest stories in this country, as we've kind of turned our eyes away from what's actually happening in the country, has been efforts to bring those Afghans who work so closely with the Canadian government and Canadian forces to this country, to provide them sanctuary. Because, listen, a lot of them have targets on their back. You know, they worked with either NATO or a foreign government, and the Taliban have a fairly good idea of who these people were, maybe not all of them. But if you lived there and you worked for a government that suddenly fell and a new regime came into power that had been the sworn enemy of that government for decades, uh, you'd be afraid too. Uh, the list of those who would qualify is long, given the more than more than a decade, the years that Canada was on the ground in Afghanistan, from translators and interpreters to embassy staff and so on. Now, one group that is particularly vulnerable is those who actively worked with the military justice system under the former regime. And that includes a group set up by former Canadian Forces legal officer, Major Corey Moore. He's been fighting to bring 12 Afghans and their families to Canada. All of them worked with him as he helped to try to strengthen the Afghan National Army's legal branch. There was even a project to recruit, and recruit he did including eight Afghan female military lawyers to work as prosecutors and criminal investigators, including prosecuting suspected Taliban army infiltrators. So you can imagine when the fall of Kabul happened and the return of the Taliban arrived, it changed everything for them. They're now in danger. They've been forced into hiding while waiting for word to come that they are welcome in this country. But so far, that word has not arrived. Joining me now with more on this is Major Corey Moore and Tamar Bogassian, an immigration lawyer in Ottawa, working with Moore to try to bring the 12 and their families to Canada. Thanks for your time to both of you tonight. Thank you. Good evening, Ben. Thanks for having us. So let me begin with you, Corey, just a bit of background on the work you were doing um, and the Afghan staff you worked with, I gather, amongst it all. You also championed uh, women law grads in, in Afghanistan as well. So you had some some pretty high-ranking staff. Well, it was a unique opportunity. There's no question about it. Um, when I was initially approached to to go on this particular deployment and told that I would be uh, mentoring colonels within the legal branch of the ANA, I was I was kind of taken aback because uh, that is an opportunity where I think uh, you know you can make a difference. By the time that uh, you know you're eight years into uh, the mission. And you yourself have seen your own deployments progress from like institution building, safeguarding the elections the first time around to a typical uh, war fighting uh, support scenario. Uh, on my second deployment, you, you, you now get into that transition phase where you're able to sit down with your counterparts and then really map out where you want to take you know, their organization and help them grow. So that was pretty rewarding. So how important was the staff to the work that you were doing, the Afghan staff you were hiring? You can't really operate in Afghanistan without the help and assistance of uh, the Afghan people that uh, you're there working with directly. I mean, if they're not willing partners uh, in, in what you're trying to achieve, you're not going to achieve anything. So um, they were absolutely indispensable to the project idea that I, uh, I, I arrove at, pardon me, I arrived at, and uh, they were 100% supportive in helping me see it through to reality. When Kabul fell, when the Taliban returned, I would imagine because of the kind of work they were doing, 
which would have involved, I imagine, even uh, you know, targeting or prosecuting uh, suspected Taliban infiltrators in the Afghan National Army, the ANA, that they would have been in a very dangerous position if if there was a regime change, if there was the return of the Taliban. Well, Ben, that's exactly right. And and so when you take a step back and you, and you look at the people that are in the group of uh, applicants that I'm trying to help, they were predominantly criminal prosecutors within the Afghan National Army. These were young men at the time, uh, at the rank of captain, um, you know, in their mid-20s. Mostly all of them were unmarried, but they all believed in the project and they all wanted to uh, uh, support it. When you consider not only the, the provocative nature of this of this recruitment project at the time, but then you compound on top of it the actual role that they played within Afghanistan society. It's like a compounding effect on the danger that is uh, there upon them. Like there's no question that uh, those prosecutors that had previously secured convictions and were able to incarcerate members of the Taliban over the past 10 years uh, they're especially hated. They're especially targeted. And the Taliban are actively looking for prosecutors that put them previously in jail while under the, the NATO regime uh, and the Karzai government uh, uh, tenure in Afghanistan. So Tamara, let me bring you in here. These would sound like exactly the kind of people that Canada would want to bring over, exactly the kind of people who were in, who did very complex and uh, meaningful work, but also who are in grave danger now that there's been a regime change. Uh, how successful have you been in trying to get them here? And what have you been trying to do? How difficult is the system to navigate? Uh, the system in itself is not difficult to navigate. The process in itself is the question mark. Um, applying is very straightforward. There is a specific portal for this Afghan special program. And um, the eligibility requirements are very vague, meaning that you, as long as you can demonstrate that you have helped the Canadian military, um, you are eligible and worked with the Canadian military, you are eligible for this program. So um, these individuals, um, Mr. Moore named a few, some of them, but there are 12 applicants that he's actually trying to bring. So as he stated, military prosecutors um, who are also male and female, um, criminal investigators, security personnel who actually protected Mr. Moore during his um, deployment in Afghanistan, the video participants in his recruitment video, and then a medical doctor with the military, as well as a journalist. Have you heard any updates at all? I mean, we know that the program officially closed, uh, that they're not taking new applicants. Do you have any idea of where the those 12 cases are or what chances they have of coming to this country? We do not have any idea uh, where there are. We have refiled and updated each of the 12 applications uh, last week. We received a generic email response. Um, now that this story has gone out to the public, um, Mr. Moore has been reached out to by um, different members of parliament and members of the public wanting to help. Yeah, that's right. Um, I've been contacted by other veterans uh, first and foremost, but have shared with me their stories. Uh, they themselves have been having uh, in respect of uh, 
interpreters or other uh, Afghans that they had worked with personally during their own deployments. Um, and just to, in terms of expressing their similar frustrations with me as to how the IRCC is, is also processing um, those applications from other veterans. Similarly, like in, in our case, there's been no comment back or word back from the IRCC to give any indication as to whether or not they have been considered, they're being considered at the moment, um, are they in a queue? They haven't been told that they've been uh, successful at the screening stage. Uh, unfortunately, the way that the uh, the IRCC operates is uh, you really are left hanging. And until and if ever you receive an invite, uh, an, an email that invites you to make formal application and pay the applicable fees, you will never know whether or not you know you've been screened out or if you're still somehow being contemplated somewhere within the system. I'm speaking with Major Corey Moore. He's a former Canadian Forces legal officer and Tamar Bogassian, an immigration lawyer in Ottawa. We're talking about uh, Major Moore's attempts to try and bring a team of a legal team that he had built in Afghanistan that was responsible, that worked within the Afghan National Army, uh, but was mainly responsible for prosecutions of, of Taliban infiltrators, amongst other things, and just how dangerous it is for them in that country one year after the fall of Kabul and the return of the Taliban. Uh, when we come back, we'll talk a bit more just about timing here, because because it feels like as each month goes by, uh, those still stuck in Afghanistan uh, continue to face danger. Uh, and at some point, uh, Canada will have to try to find a way to help. We'll be back with that. I'm speaking with Major Corey Moore. He's a former Canadian Forces legal officer and Tamar Bogassian, who is an immigration lawyer in Ottawa. We're talking about their attempts, uh, their efforts to bring uh, 12 people from Afghanistan, 12 families rather, from Afghanistan to this country. These are all people who worked with Major Corey Moore when he headed up an initiative uh uh, legal initiative within the Afghan National Army. These are all people who had uh, a lot of legal uh, lawyers in that group as well, people who did work that is considered to be controversial, certainly people who are not liked by the Taliban for the work they were doing within the Afghan National Army and the Karzai government under NATO uh, command, of course. Um, Major Moore, you must be hearing from them. I mean, what sense do you get from those who are still there about the situation? Well, they're, they're desperately worried. Um, they're scared. Um, you know, I'm in contact on a daily basis with members of um, the group that I'm trying to assist, and they've had to resort over the entire course of the past, you know, 11 months while this has been going on, they've had to resort to moving from apartment to apartment. Um, they've been um, calling in favors from friends that uh, they believe uh, perhaps don't warrant the attention of the Taliban and they've uh, sheltered at their place uh, for, you know, four to six weeks. And then they've been on the move again. Their children haven't been in school uh, over this time. And I, I just think Canadians need to realize that when a news article like this comes out, there's a real human element to it. I mean, these children that uh, are, essentially sequestered in apartments um, inside uh, with no opportunity to go to school because they're afraid uh, of enrollment for obvious reasons. It, it's it's a terrible, terrible thing. And, uh, you know, in terms of timelines, all I can say is when I was presenting the idea to produce a professionally 
made recruitment film to my superiors in Kabul, I was told flat out, there's no way that you're going to be able to achieve this in the time that you've got uh, here in Kabul. Um, you know, you're talking about Mission Impossible. I was able to to accomplish what they didn't think was possible in three and a half months. And what that really speaks to is, well, why is it that, you know, after 10 and a half or 11 and a half months or however long it's been, almost a year, why can't these 12 files be looked at carefully, considered for the factual uh, veracity of, of, of their stories for what they are, and a decision made where they're exercising their discretion properly. It shouldn't take it shouldn't take three and a half months. It should really only take maybe three and a half weeks. With every day that goes by, you know, the people in my group and the people that the other veterans across this country are trying to help, they're at risk of being discovered, captured, and then executed every single day that we're wasting here in Canada debating this. Tomorrow, what would you like to see done from, from, a, from a legal? I know you're both lawyers, but from, a, from an immigration standpoint, what needs to be done here? What needs to be done is that the IRCC needs to have clear guidelines in place for the officers to assess these applications. There needs to be also transparency. So we need to know how these applications are being assessed, how each applicant is meeting or not meeting the eligibility requirements. There needs to be transparency also in the processing when it comes to corresponding with the client, with the applicant, so that the applicant can know if they are in fact accepted or eligible for the program, or if they're not. Uh, at this point in time, there's no communication with the applicant, and everyone is basically left in limbo to wonder whether or not they actually meet the requirements of the program and if they are eligible or not. I imagine you'd like to see them open the program up again too. Yes, it'd be great if they opened up the program again, just because um, Canada was in Afghanistan for almost 15 years and they've only accepted half of the applicants um, that they said they were going to accept. Um, so they should reopen the program because there's still a lot of people that want to apply and want to come to Canada. A last question to you, uh, Major Moore, just the, the sense, the weight of responsibility you must feel. I know how much we all felt responsible when we were in Afghanistan as journalists, too, just for the people who worked with us, because we knew how much danger they were in uh, doing the work they were doing. And of course, we would leave and they stayed. And this is the ultimate example of leaving and someone being left behind. Um, you know, does this taint our legacy there at all? If we don't manage to get these people who helped our country so much or helped our mission so much out of there and safe? It does. Uh, Canada's Canada's reputation internationally um, is at stake over the manner in which this government is going to choose to respond to this kind of crisis that's developed uh, through the, the mismanagement of these applications. Um, when we went into theater and we solicited the assistance of Afghanistan citizens to a man, we were all uh, reassuring each and every one of them that if they helped us, we would help them too, and we wouldn't abandon them. And it was very much a live issue uh, on the ground, and you being in theater as an embedded journalist, Ben, you'd know this, 
Uh, you heard countless stories of how the Americans had been there, had promised to stay, the Americans left, and they initially viewed our presence there with the same degree of skepticism. Now, for my project, I did a needs assessment. I saw that military nurses were being sexually assaulted by injured a and &E soldiers in their hospital rooms, and that something needed to be done about it. So, you know, I do a needs assessment, and I go about the business of trying to make a recruitment video to bring in female lawyers so that they can actually investigate and then prosecute and convict these sexual offenders. And I can't do anything um, without their help. Um, and when we go into theater the next time, um, what's our credibility going to be like? Our credibility will be shot. Um, 40,000 people, like Tamar says, <clears throat> Is, is not enough a year to have the program open um, on an online format where it's only in English um, is exceptionally unhelpful. It doesn't send the message at all internationally that Canada even cares enough to, to, to support the web-based portal by making it bilingual in Dari that, that would facilitate an easier application process. Major Corey Moore and Tamar Bogassian, thank you so much for your time tonight. Thank you so much, Ben. You're very welcome. Thank you, Ben.